chapter 11. There might be Bibles. Almost everybody's got a Bible on their phone, but if you need a, if you need a paper Bible, we've got a few floating around. Probably hook you up. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 11. This morning when I was preparing and, um, you know, just thinking about where's our church at? What's going on? This passage from John 11 that I think is probably a little bit familiar to us came to mind, and it's quite a bit of Bible. And I was listening to somebody speak lately, and, and they were just saying, you know, I think we just need a lot more reading the Bible without any commentary given in our church. And I just, when he said that, I just thought, man, that is true. And I was reminded of a quote by Karl Barth, who uh, is a pretty famous German theologian, uh, pretty, pretty big deal um, in theological cir- circles, if you know theologians. He said that one of the most arrogant things anyone can do is to stand up in front of a group of people and read the Word of God and then to say anything else. <laughs> like, like something I'm going to say is going to be better than the written Word of God. Now, of course, you know, we bring an understanding that, you know, at least when I teach people how to pray, preach or, and, and the preaching mentoring that I've been through, uh, you know, we, we try to understand that, like, God is still speaking to us through the Scriptures and that, like, hopefully in my preparation and in the extra things that I say, I'm not adding to the Scriptures. I'm, I'm hopefully just, like, trying to pull, pull what's in the Scriptures out and, and make it easier to understand, hopefully maybe even a little more uh, engaging or whatever. Uh, but I was just thinking of that um, as I was preparing for this message. And so I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, this is not the best sermon I've ever preached. I, I'm just sure that it is, uh, it's going to be like fine. And I'm trying to get this little auto tracker to, yeah, I'm, I'm like playing with this machine over here. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to uh, just preach to you guys the Word of God and just read the story to you. Um, but I want us to kind of focus on about three themes. So there are three themes that I want us to just kind of notice in this somewhat long passage of Scripture, uh, 46 verses we're going to read today. Uh, first is uh, honesty with God, that when we look at this story, uh, we see that people are honest with God. They tell God what they really think. And kind of related to that is this idea of, of dealing with grief, and living in a reality that is not clean, living in a reality that is not picture perfect, that's not happy clappy, it's not the way we want it to be, it's the way it is, right? Living in this real world. And in this church, we talk a lot about this tension between the right now and the not yet of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is breaking into our present existence, that the that the goodness of restored creation that will happen at the end of time when Jesus returns, Jesus actually inaugurates that and, and, and starts kicking the door in on hell uh, as he's doing his ministry on earth. And so when he's healing people, he's bringing that end of time into the present. When, he is, uh, when he's kicking demons out of people, he's bringing God's justice into that moment. When he's confronting the unjust power structures of his day. He's bringing that future justice that will happen when the kingdom of God breaks in to the present moment. When he is helping people come into relationship with God, he's bringing that consummation, that togetherness that will happen when uh, God will be with his people on the earth. He's bringing that into the present existence. And so we kind of understand almost everything in the scriptures through that paradigm of this inbreaking kingdom. And so when we talk about even things like uh, our own experience 
of, of meeting Jesus or being with Jesus. We talk about uh, how the Bible has language that says, you know, well, we are saved, right? Like the work that Jesus did on the cross is done, and, uh, and, like, and like we are saved, we're in, right? Uh, but then there's also a sense in which, well, we're kind of a work in progress, right? We're, we are being saved. Like God is at work in us and he's, he's working on our hearts and he's changing us and he's making us into people who, you know, are actually saved, right? And then, and then the Bible also uses language that says on, that, on the last day we will be saved. And so you see this, this kind of language all throughout the scripture. And so just bringing that kind of understanding of, yeah, you know, Jesus is going to heal some people and some pretty powerful things are going to happen in the story. I'm going to spoil it for you if you don't immediately recognize what happens in the story when I read, like, the first verse. But, uh, but that, that miracle and that work of God happens in this world, in this real, messy, broken world, in this world that is wrought by sin, that's wrought by injustice, that is just tweaked and twisted and and corrupted uh, by the evil power structures of this world and by our own sin and just by death and destruction and decay and all that comes with that. And I think that being able to be honest with God and being able to maintain our faith even while we're grieving this reality that we're living in, uh, that's just really important for us as a community, especially uh, as we move forward as a community. And then finally, just the theme of faith and obedience. You know, uh, in the vineyard, John Wimber used to famously say that I spell, that faith is a, he said, faith is a four-letter word, I spell it R-I-S-K. That faith is risk. That faith is when you actually trust God enough to do what he says. I kind of relate it back to when I used to do high-rise window cleaning. So when I was doing high-rise window cleaning, I, uh, I would hang off the side of a building on a rope and do a descent and wash the windows on the way down. And it's one thing to know that that rope uh, is rated at like 1,000 pounds. You could probably lift a car with that rope and it wouldn't break uh, because it's a super strong rope. It's a, it's a good rope. You can, you can trust that rope. But it's another thing to stand on the edge of the building and to kind of climb into that repelling harness and put my weight on that rope and trust that that rope is actually going to hold me. And so when we say faith is risk, that's what we mean. We mean that to have faith, to actually trust God, you know, you, you can say, well, you know, theoretically, I can say two plus two is four. Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, you know, I believe in the Apostles' Creed, all this. I can kind of have this head knowledge about it. But what faith is, is when I actually trust that those things are really true in a way that if they weren't true, maybe I get hurt, or maybe, maybe I get disappointed, or maybe uh, my life is harder. Uh, and so there's actually risk involved. And so I just kind of want to see those, I just want us to look for those themes as we look uh, to the Word of God in this passage. And so I'm just going to read a really long passage of scripture to you. Is that okay? I don't usually do this, but this is kind of what I felt like the Lord said, just go for this today. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And 
this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. And so I'm just going to pause here for a minute and just offer a little bit of brief context. So Bethany is kind of like a suburb of Jerusalem. Uh, it's like just a few miles south. It's walking distance. Uh, you, could, you could get there. I think now it's probably all one big megalopolis. Um, but uh, but this, is, this is close range to kind of the center of power in Israel, the center of the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the people who were kind of like not sure what to do with Jesus, maybe kind of trying to make sure that he didn't get Rome to run over their country. Uh, you know, they were worried because they had heard some rumors that he was the Messiah. And so everybody's thinking Messiah means military revolt. And so if we have a Messiah, this is a situation we need to control. We need to make sure that Jesus isn't going to get all the Jewish people killed uh, by this empire room that's, that's right there. And so there's kind of these political dynamics. There's some things going on in the background. And so Jesus' disciples, understandably, are concerned that he's willing to, that he's going to go be like right in the zone. He's going to be right there next to uh, all this trouble. He's going to be right there next to these people that have expressed on more than one occasion that they, they want him dead uh, because they tried to stone him to death. That's where you pick rocks up and throw them at a person until they die. It's not the, it's not the other one, right? So, um, and so, and so uh, they're saying, okay, they're going to kill you if we go back there. Are you sure you want to do that? And Jesus answered, are, not there, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And at that point, you're kind of like, what? 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 What, did you, what, did you, what does that mean? What do you, Jesus, we're talking about going to see these light and darkness, and what are you talking about? Uh, you know, just to kind of offer a little bit of a clue, because I'm not totally sure I completely understand what Jesus is saying here, and I think that's actually kind of his point, is he's saying something a little bit confusing because he wants us to ponder it. You've noticed that Jesus does this from time to time. Whenever Jesus, <laughs> people will ask Jesus a direct question, and he won't answer it, and he'll either ask another question, or he'll tell a story, or he'll do something kind of like, yeah, but couldn't you just give me a straight answer? Um, he'll do something a little bit quizzical because he's trying to make you think. He's trying to make us consider what is he saying? What is he saying about light and darkness and all these things? And so if I can offer just a little bit of interpretation of my take on what he's saying, he's saying, look, my way is the light. And so if you want to go do your own thing, that's fine. You can stumble around in the dark, but my way is the light and I'm here, and I'm with you, and so you can walk with me in the light, or you can be confused. Okay, that's a bit on the nose, but I guess, yeah, all right, that works, okay. Uh, 
our, here, here we go, in verse 11, after he had said this, he went to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. So awesome devotion, Thomas. That is, I mean, you know, it's a bit macabre, but, you know, I got to admire that. That takes some chutzpah to say, yeah, let's go follow Jesus uh, and we'll follow him while he gets killed. Okay, awesome, dude, respect. Uh, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, and I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Another translation I read earlier today, it said, and Jesus burst into tears. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who had opened the eyes of the blind men have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave laid with a stone across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. 
Would you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you for this story. I thank you that somebody wrote this stuff down and that we got this one and that we got the nuance and we got the the play-by-play and the dialogue and we can kind of catch just the tension and the sadness and the grief and the hope and the just the drama of it all because when our lives seem really dramatic and when they seem really hopeless and when they seem really hard uh, we need to know that you see us and we need to know that sometimes you're bursting into tears with us and God sometimes we need to be the people who are able to burst into tears with others and we need to to have that emotional strength and to have that character of being able to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice and to be a community that represents you to each other and to the whole world. And so, God, um, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I do ask that you would continue to speak to me and through me in this time and that um, we would all walk away here changed by what you've said to us. Lord, would you help us to take off the grave clothes and to walk in the light with you. And just ask for these things in Jesus' name. So I think first you can really see the honesty with God, right? You can see the way that these people don't hold back their confusion, their complaint, their honesty with being befuddled by the situation. They say, Jesus, if you had been here, (laughs) then this wouldn't happen. We know that you can heal people. We know that you're powerful. We know that you're good, but you weren't here. And we are upset about that. That we want you to do something about this, and we need you to know that we're unhappy. And I think that there's actually something really positive about what seems, and maybe what maybe even some preachers or maybe even I have, have said uh, in the past is, is complaining here. That we've kind of, maybe we poo-poo this attitude. Maybe we poo-poo this, this behavior and this, this way of interacting with God as something that is not exemplary or as something that shouldn't be done. Maybe you shouldn't talk to God that way. Maybe you shouldn't be so disrespectful or lack faith or not trust that God is going to make something good. And I do feel like that criticism, that that kind of thinking about this story uh, is a little bit informed by the spoiler, that it's a little bit kind of like, well, we know what's going to happen. And so when we know what's going to happen, uh, then it's easy for us to kind of make those judgments or to make those calls. But we have to remember that Martha and Mary didn't know what was going to happen. And you know, most of the time, I don't really know what's going to happen, right? Like, I, if I'm honest, when I'm, when I'm in the middle of something, when I'm in the middle of a struggle, and I expect God to, to help me out or to, 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 to do something for me or to at least hear my prayer or to make it easier or to give me comfort or encouragement or whatever, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen next. And and that uncertainty, uh, that can definitely color the way that I interact with God. But here's what I notice when I look at the Scriptures. 
when I read the Psalms, which are Jesus' prayer book, actually, right? Like Jesus, he, if you want to read the prayers that Jesus read uh, and pray the way that Jesus prayed, uh, look at the Psalms because that was what they did. That was their prayer book back in the day, right? That's, that's you know, those 150 prayers that are right there in the middle of your Bible. That's how Jesus prayed. And he quoted the Psalms frequently. He quoted the Psalms on the cross. He quoted Psalm 22 saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> right? He's quoting a song. He's quoting a, a prayer in that moment. And the Psalms are full of good complaining to God, of real honest just expression of our emotions, expression of our frustration, expression of our desire to see justice happened, expressions of, of lament, of saying the world is not as it should be, and bringing those complaints before God with the faith that He cares, that He cares to listen to what we're complaining about, that He cares to know the things that are making us sad, that He cares about the things that we care about, at least a little bit, and that somehow talking to God about those things is good. And I think we see that in this story, and I think that we see that even in Jesus' attitude at this situation. Jesus, I think, knows what he's about to do. He knows what his Father has sent him there to do. I mean, we see hints of it before he's weeping about saying, you know, I'm glad that this has happened so that you can believe. He knows what, he does know what's going to happen, but he's still moved by the tragedy of it. He's still moved by the pain of it. He still loves this guy, Lazarus. He still loves his family, and to see them weeping and grieving, Jesus is moved by that, and Jesus weeps. He bursts into tears, and he grieves, and he goes through that pain with us, and Jesus is honest with his emotions, and he talks to God about them. He doesn't try to cover them up. He doesn't try to act towards God like he thinks, uh, you know, a, a person who believes should act or something like that. He doesn't try to hide his pain. He brings his pain honestly to a caring, loving father and tells him, you know, how it is, says what's true. And we see him experiencing that grief in reality. I think that what the Psalms teach us and what Jesus teaches us in this passage and, uh, and what we see all really through the whole scriptures is that uh, we need to have the courage to be sad and angry sometimes, right? And, and it's weird in some Christian circles how that has been shoved to the side, to say that, you know, to, to express any sadness or any anger to God would somehow indicate a lack of faith, whereas I just don't see Jesus modeling that kind of a religion. I don't see Jesus saying it's wrong to be sad or that it's wrong to be angry. We see Jesus fully embodying those emotions. We see Jesus fully being a, a, just a person who needs God to move. And so I think that it's important. Sometimes we get stuck. I don't, maybe you can relate to this. I find that sometimes I get stuck in my relationship with God where things feel kind of stale. They feel kind of like maybe nothing is happening. I, I think nothing is happening. It just feels like I'm sort of just going through the motions. There's no real sense of connection. I'm like doing prayers, but 
is anybody listening? Is anything happening? I, I hope maybe I'm not the only person in this community who's had this experience. I really hope I'm not the only one who feels that way sometimes, but I, I unfortunately too frequently feel that way. And I find that often when I'm feeling that way, uh, I can also kind of start to feel depressed. I can also kind of start to feel sort of apathetic about life. I can start, start to feel like, ah, maybe things are hopeless. Maybe things are no good. And, uh, and then I can start to worry about stuff, and I can kind of get spiraling, and I can start, start feeling bad there. Uh, but here's what I've found. Here's what I've found. It, it doesn't always work this way, okay? I'm not, I'm not offering a formula here, but let me just tell you something that has helped me sometimes, okay? When I'm in that space of feeling distant from God or feeling apathetic or feeling like I'm stuck, feeling like nothing is happening, uh, I find that if I have the courage to get angry about it and to really talk to God <laughs> from that honest place of anger, that something will break. That oftentimes, having that courage to say, Lord, I'm really disappointed that you didn't do this for me or that you didn't protect me this way or that this didn't happen or I'm really sad that these things are happening in my life that suddenly I'll get a strong sense of God's presence, that suddenly I'll be able to hear God's voice again. Suddenly the scriptures will be able to speak to me again, that I'll be able to understand something that God is saying to me when I come to God from a place of raw honesty. And a lot of times I feel like the Lord is just sort of waiting for me to get real. Because here's what, I've, here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus doesn't do fake. He doesn't tolerate lies. <laughs> he doesn't put up with pretending. He's so willing to offend. He's so willing to be a person who is authentic. And that's, I hope, where our, val- where our value of authenticity comes as a church is that we, we want to be real. We don't want to say that healing has occurred when it hasn't. We don't want to pretend that everything's okay when it's really not. We want to be a safe place where it's okay to say, man, I screwed that up. I sinned. I, I did wrong. I meant to do right and I did wrong. Or I, I just meant to do wrong because I was, you know, to, to be honest with each other and to be honest with God about things is so important. For a relationship to be real, for there to be trust, for me to be able to say, I trust that this rope is going to hold me. I trust that if I lean on God, that he will support me and save me. In order for that trust to be there, there has to be honesty. And there has to be truth. And I think that sometimes we don't want to go there because it can be uncomfortable or because we'll look unfaithful to other people or we're worried that God is going to smite us if we tell him what we really think or we're going to have some kind of trouble. And I just think that, especially as many of us are kind of maybe starting to process some of the things that have happened over the last year, maybe the last couple of years, uh, that it's important that we're honest with God and that there is space and there's room to, to be honest before God and that we make space with each other to talk about these things and to pray about these things and that we don't judge each other when we have to express whatever we need to express, right? 
We want to be a community that's caring, that's kind, that can grieve alongside another person. And so, well, that all sounds like a big, uh, that, that all sounds like a big malaise of negativity and emotion, like, you know, that sounds like an authentic bummer, Josh. Like, what, <laughs> is that it? That's the end of the story? Like, that's the whole thing? So it's okay to be, it's okay to be sad, it's okay to be angry. The end. Uh, I'm not going to leave it there, uh, and because Jesus doesn't leave it there, right? Uh, Jesus leaves it in a place of faith and obedience. As we work through this process of lament, what we see often, not in every single psalm of lament, some psalms of lament do just end there. Like, there's a couple of psalms, it's like, this is a bummer psalm, and then it just stops, and it's just a bummer. And there are days like that. There are days like that. And guess what? Here's the gospel. God can handle that. God can handle it when you have a day like that, or if you have a week like that, or if you have a month or a year like that. God can handle that. He can. All right? And that's good news, I hope. But the, the pattern that we see in the Scriptures is let's really be honest. Let's really tell God what's really going on. And if you're feeling stuck with God, let me just, you're feeling like, man, prayer just doesn't mean anything. It's, it's, it's awkward. It's stale. It feels like I'm just reading words. It's not connecting. Try this. This is a trick that somebody said to me a couple years ago. It's really resonated with me. And when I get stuck, it kind of helps me get back to a place of real honesty. Try talking to God like he doesn't already know everything you're about to tell him. Like, I think that sometimes our theology, that God is all-knowing, which I believe, I believe you're not telling him anything he doesn't know, but uh, I, I think that sometimes that can get in the way of how we interact. Like, if we overthink about that, then we'll never pray, which is really weird, because uh, we think, oh, well, God already knows everything, so why do I need to pray? Well, we need to pray because it's important to talk to people that you care about and that you're in relationship with, and God is a person. And so if we talk to God like he doesn't already know the things that we're about to tell him, sometimes it can get things flowing again. It can get, it can get us unstuck. It, 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 it feels like we're connecting with God when we do that. And so let me, just put that, let me just put that in your bag of tricks. Let me just give that to you and say, like, if you're feeling stuck when you come to pray, Try talking to God like he doesn't already know whatever you're about to tell him. Hey, God, man, this morning, that guy cut me off in traffic, and it's, I spilled my coffee, and it just got me on the worst track all day long. And I just, I'm so angry at my coworkers because they keep dropping the ball on this stuff, and I just, I'm really frustrated, and I need your help. And then, here's the, here's the, ne- here's the next part. And then maybe stop talking. And maybe listen and see if you get a sense that God is saying anything back to you. Listen to the voice of God and see if you can hear what he's saying. Like, give him some space. Give him some room to talk. This isn't a one-way street. This is a conversation when we do prayer. And that's why it's important to read the scriptures so that you can recognize God's voice as, a, as opposed to something else you imagine or maybe a demonic influence or something else. Like there are a lot of voices that are bouncing around in our heads at any given time. Stuff our parents said to the, us when we were kids or something that we said online to someone else and we're overthinking that conversation. We're, uh, you know, we're, but if we can give God some space to speak, 
here's, here's, here's some more good news. He does. And he'll speak to you, and he will give you words of encouragement. He'll help you see the truth where there's confusion. He'll invite you to do challenging, scary things. But there will be clarity and leadership. And his voice will guide you if you give him space and if you invite him to. I really believe that that's true. And so Jesus was in the habit of doing that a lot, of talking to God, of telling God about his day, of really being honest with God, and finding, making time, you know, often disappointing lots of people and being a confusing person. Uh, many, many people would say, you know, Jesus uh, was not being an effective leader because he wasn't where he was when he said he was going to be, you know, he, he let a lot of people down a lot of the time so that he could go and be with God and so that he could talk to God and listen and cultivate that relationship of love with his father. And you see him struggling, even in this story, waiting two days. That waiting had to be hard on Jesus. I mean, it was hard on him. He wept. <laughs> he was sad that he didn't make it in time, right? But he was also doing that out of obedience. And people scoffed and said, he did the wrong thing, and he was a mess, and he was just trying to be obedient. And then when he says, roll the stone away, that's not a wise move, man. That's a risky move. That is a, that's a crazy thing to think that, that you could say something like that, and you could say to a dead person, Lazarus, come forth, and then they would actually walk out of the tomb. That is not the way things work. Everybody knows that that's not how things work but Jesus does it anyway. And aren't we all glad? Aren't we all encouraged? Don't, don't we all have hope that Jesus can raise the dead and that he has conquered over death? You know, it's interesting to think about this story in light of what Jesus knows is coming because Jesus is about to go through what Lazarus just went through, right? Jesus is about to die. And he, he has a sense about it, and his disciples, you know, even Thomas, you know, is, is calling it, right? Thomas is saying, I know where this is going, but we'll go with him, right? And, and so Jesus is looking at Lazarus. He's looking at this story, and we kind of look at this story. We look at what happened to Lazarus as, a, it's like a real foreshadowing of what's about to happen to Jesus, Jesus gets a lot of flack, and if you read on in the, the next part of the chapter, it talks about, and this is when they hatched the plan to make sure that Jesus was executed, right? It talks about the Sanhedrin and all the intrigue going on behind the scenes of now we're going to make a plan <laughs> to, to get this guy taken out because he raised this guy from the dead. And so it's this, this tension and this, this intrigue of like Jesus raises this guy, and it means that not only that that means that Jesus will suffer for doing this, and Jesus will die, and Jesus will be raised to life. And the life that Jesus is raised to, of course, is eternal. Uh, Jesus is really the only person who has been resurrected, right? We say that Lazarus was raised. That's what the story is about. Lazarus was raised. But there's only one person who's been resurrected, and that's Jesus. Because Lazarus was raised, 
but he, he died again. Right? We, don't, we don't see Lazarus walking around Palestine right now. Maybe if he was, maybe he could talk everybody out of killing each other. Uh, maybe particularly talk to Israel, I don't know. But, but we see that, that, that Lazarus dies again. Right? Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus, after he was raised, ascended to the Father and sits at the right hand of God in his body somehow. Right? And so we have this hope that one day we will be resurrected. That even if, if we die on the other side, we will be with God forever in eternity. And that is the source of all of our hope. That is the source of all of our joy. And that's what we're betting everything on. That is the rope that we are putting our weight on. And for that reason, um, I just want to kind of highlight a couple of, of uh couple of things that I think God might be inviting us to. So I mentioned the, the show this week. Um, guys, it's my hope, it's my sincere hope that somehow through all the business that we do here at church, that we are creating a space and we're doing these things so that we have the opportunity to come into relationship with people who don't know God so that they can experience the hope that we have. So they can not be afraid of death so they can experience real love and real community, so that they can experience a, 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 a way of being that isn't anxious, but that it's safe to be a mess, that it's safe to be <laughs> a real person and to be loved in the middle of that mess and to be cared for in the middle of that mess. And that's why we do things like Art Walk. That's why we do things like give away snow cones. That's why we do things like uh, go and pray for neighborhoods and put door hangers on them. It's so that people can come into relationship with God. That's really important. That's what is sustaining us through difficult times, and uh, that's why we want to do it. And so uh, I just would say, like, please show up. Help us out. We'll share the hope that you've received from God and the joy of being part of this community. And then also just... Um, you know, it's important to encourage each other to walk through life together, to go through those times of confusion and frustration and not knowing what's going on, just like Lazarus did in this story and like Lazarus's family, particularly Mary and Martha, of saying, I don't know why God didn't do this. I'm frustrated, I'm confused. It helps so much to have people who are going through that with you. If I can just say, uh, you know, I've been through some rough stuff in my life. Uh, when I was about... I guess I was 18. Yeah, I was a little bit just past 18, um, my uh, senior year of high school. And so whenever graduation comes around, I kind of, uh, it, it kind of gives me some weird feels because about two weeks before my high school graduation, um, somebody close to me passed away. There's a kid named Peter. Peter was such a goofball. He was a little chubby uh, as a teenager, uh, and he was always getting into trouble. Uh, he and I would skateboard at our junior high after school, and uh, the couple of times I got ISS in junior high, because uh, I was mostly a goody-two-shoes. I was like the worst stereotype of a nerdy A student, you know, all that. Um, but the couple of times that I got in-school suspension, which seemed like a really big deal to me in my junior high existence, uh, it was because I was hanging out with Peter, and Peter and I were skating at the school and uh, getting, getting in trouble breaking the no skateboarding rule. Uh, Peter, Peter invited all of his friends to come to youth group. 
and uh, he invited me and a bunch of other people. Uh, he was a gatherer. He was a, a magnetic kind of a person. Um, and uh, that led to me coming to Christ. Um, I thank God for my friendship with this kid. I, I thank God for the impact that he had on my life. Uh, he was by no means the most holy teenager uh, in the world. I'm pretty sure uh, you know, he, broke, he broke some, some rules, some, some kind of serious rules. I, I think he might have been using drugs towards the end of his life. And, uh, and, you know, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure he was sleeping with his girlfriend, and, yeah, I don't know what else. Um, but, but the guy led me to Jesus. And he had a relationship with God that was real. And I wouldn't be who I am or do what I did do or, or be, the, be the person I am at all if he hadn't just invited me to church. I just said, hey, come along, come over here, come, come see this thing, this is fun, this is cool, come, come be part of this. So anyway, a couple weeks before high school graduation, they made the announcement that my friend Peter uh, had died in a car accident uh, on his way to school. And that was a, you know, emotionally intense time, you know, it's like all the feelings of graduation, all the joy, all the accomplishment, all this good stuff of yay, I'm done with school, I'm, you know, graduating, I'm going off to college, I'm doing all this amazing stuff, I'm doing all this, uh, and I'm also, like, really, really sad that uh, one of my best friends uh, is dead. I mean, there's no other way to say it, right? And, uh, and that kind of opened up a can of the next year of my life. Uh, I was really kind of depressed, I think. I think uh, if I, in hindsight, I think I can say if I had gone to talk to somebody who gives people that designation, they probably would have said I was depressed. Uh, I just woke up sad every day for like a whole year. And I kind of was like, you know, dying and going to heaven, that wouldn't be so bad right now. That, might, that would probably be better. It would be probably, I'm sure it would be better. I'm sure, like that part when, in, in the Bible where Paul says, uh, you know, I, I long to be with Christ, but I also want to be here. You know, I, it would be better for me to be with Christ, right? Like, I was just like, yeah, that makes sense to me. I get that. I get that. Like, kind of longing. For, like, it's so melodramatic, especially for an 18, 19-year-old. But that's where I was. It's just, it was my life. I tell you, the thing that got me through is um, people were praying for me. I knew that I could talk to brothers and sisters in Christ. And... Uh, People would, I, I could cry a little bit. I could talk about what I was going through and people would pray for me. And, uh, and that got me through that time in my life. There are going to be a lot of people who are going through a lot of things that are a lot more extreme than what I went through as a teenager in our lives. They're all around us. This has been a hell of a year. There's no other way to put it. And... We need to be people who are safe. We need to be people who can mourn with those who mourn. And we need to be people who have faith and who are obedient and who can have the kind of chutzpah, who can have the kind of trust in God to speak life into those situations and to raise the dead and to heal the sick and to break off lies of the enemy and to pray with the power of the Holy Spirit, expecting God's kingdom to break in in power in this messy, present evil age. 
That's who we are as a people. And I have to say, we're pretty darn good at it, especially the prayer part. And I'm proud to be part of this community. And I'm proud to be one of y'all and with y'all on this journey. As we move through the next few months, as we're processing the grief of the last year, I just think it's important to be honest with God, to really experience the emotions of grief, and to do that honestly with other people and with God, but to also walk in faith and obedience. Because when we do that, the power of God can come into desperate, impossible situations. Dead people can walk out of their graves and take off their grave clothes and assume a whole new identity. And yeah, there's going to be trouble that comes along with that. People are going to be angry. We're going to step on some toes. Uh, We might offend each other. We might offend uh, religious people and power structures of this present evil age. But that, I believe, is what God calls us to. And so if you want to get in on that, uh, I'd invite you to stand right now. Would you go ahead and stand?